And that woman came to me in the break and said, oh my God, you have just described my life. I cannot believe you are solving this problem. It's huge. And she just went on for about 15 minutes without a word in. Like, awesome, did you say that in the room? Oh no, I couldn't have said that. Welcome to Startup West, the podcast about building great startups in sunny Western Australia. Today, we're talking with the CEO and founder of Kinship Systems, Catherine Resnick. I'm Beth Cornelia. Hi, and I'm Charlie Gunningham. Now, Kath is someone who's hugely admired among the local startup scene here in Perth. She's doing a very difficult, but no less important business, connecting all the various elements of the healthcare system together, parents and their children, to health, education, and social services. I think you're gonna get a lot from this interview. Okay, so here's our chat with Kath. Welcome to Startup West, Kath. Thank you very much, Beth. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about Kinship Systems? Thank you. Yes, well, if you've ever had a family member with complex needs or complex health challenges, you'll know that navigating your way through the healthcare system can be very very challenging. Mm -hmm. You don't always get the help you need at the right time or in the right way, and often you're not informed about what the choices are. Uh, That's even more complex if you're dealing with children uh, because you're often straddling between health, education and social services. So you've got three different systems you're trying to navigate. So that's the problem we set about to solve by providing families an easy place to store health, education and social That's a very big problem, Kath. But they say with a startup, you've got to start with a big problem. (laughs) If it wasn't a big problem, I wouldn't be interested. That's true. That's true. Good on you. So how are you solving it? Well, we're providing uh, an easy place for families to store health, education and social records. And we're also partnering with a lot of community organisations now to provide information, support and resources so they know where to go and get the um, support along the way that they, they can. Fantastic. Um, and there's and nothing like that available? You thought that'd be available on a government website somewhere? pieces all over the place, but yeah. nothing all in one place. And, and the more complex the challenges, uh, the more it really does all need to be in one place. And, and mm. that, that's the thing that certainly families have spoken to us a lot about. How many years are you into it? Ooh, I think we started with the concept around 2004, nearly five years ago now, and uh, but this particular right. company around four years. Okay, cool. Right. And so what's the business model? How does it, how does it work? How, do, how does it look? I understand you deal a lot with government mm-hmm. entities. Tell us what that, that is like. Okay, well, we wanted to make the uh, platform as accessible as possible for those who most need it, and often they are financially challenged as well. So we've made the platform available free for families and we earn revenue. Um, We have a number of different revenue streams available, including data and predictive analytics for population health. That could be government in one case, Uh, could be researchers and clinical trial recruitment um, and uh, different payers. So in Australia, the payer typically is government, can be health insurers. In other countries, it could be employers as well as health insurers. Mm. And presumably you had to therefore raise some money to get going? Yes, we did. Angel? Yes, yes. Um, We had um, three angel investors that came on board early, uh, and we've had another angel come on board since, as well as a number of grants. um, And And how big's the team? Uh, the team scaled up to be quite a decent-sized team. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> We've kind of scaled back again back a, bit. Yeah, a, yeah. a little bit. Um, once we yeah. built out the core product, um, then the, the focus became sort of getting it out there. Uh, and so we've sort of scaled back at the moment um, prior to raising another round of money. Okay, yes. which is what you're doing at the moment, I presume. Yes. Yeah. And then there's going to be changing in governments at the local and state level, federal level. 
And You're there's here always changes in government. What <laughs> I have learned, yes, what I have <laughs> learned over the last few years, there's some really fantastic people in government and, yeah. and they, they really want changes to happen. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why that can be limited at various times, budgets, changes in government, machinery, government changes, yes. reviews, etc. So what I have learned as a startup founder is never rely on government as your customer. Yes. There are always too many things outside of your control and theirs that can make it happen. Um, it's a nice to have, um, but it's, you just never depend on it. For sure. So can we take you back? You've got a background in the health world. Yes. You're a psychotherapist. Yes. But where did, where, did, where did you start? Were you always interested in that at school? Is that something that you always had in you and you went straight to or, or did it take a while to find uh, your place in that? I was always interested in problems that needed to be solved. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, when there wasn't a problem, I would create one. So I would be always that person. <laughs> one of those that, kids. Uh, always that person that asked the physics teacher problems that were not able to be solved and they would be answered. Right. I took great pride in doing that. Um, and so, so into the sciences at school, you did all the sciences. Uh, yeah, I did all the sciences. Yeah. I was crap at chemistry, but I love physics and maths and all that kind right. of stuff. Uh, I wanted to study medicine. It's, there's a whole story around why that didn't happen. Um, as a woman in those days, my the advice that came to me around that was that I was just going to get married and have kids anyway, so uh, I go to university. And so, so you didn't? I didn't, but oh. I tried the next best thing, which was I enrolled in hospital-based nursing training in the day. Fantastic. Uh, loved that. Um, unfortunately, I saw a lot of bullying happening, and um, as a 17-year-old, made it my job to go up to Matron and, and complain about the bullying that was happening to other students. Oh um, I was promptly told that if um, I thought that they would listen to the advice of a 17-year-old upstart over mm-hmm. somebody that had been working at the hospital for over 20 years, I didn't belong there. I agreed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and they started a career of, well, a non-career really. I, I did about 15 different jobs by the time I was 23. Wow. Oh my uh, goodness, you've got to tell us some of those. What were some of the wackiest? Oh, uh, I worked at a hair transplant clinic. I was actually, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, I was actually a theatre <laughs> assistant, literally cutting people's scalps open and implanting hair. Oh, wow. Uh, I was an aerobics instructor <laughs> as well in the age. Like, 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 I just totally, I was, in the, yeah, I, I was just totally doing it. Lords was what, yeah. Oh, Sydney, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I still got, they still the do great aerobics classes. <laughs> foot warmers. Sorry, you yeah, foot, absolutely. Frizzy hair. No, Lots well, I had naturally frizzy hair, so I didn't have to do anything about that. There you go. So, how did you end up as a psychotherapist? And given that you, you took you took the long way around to get there, so tell us how you finally ended up there. Look, um, I credit my kids with that, actually. Really? So, um, you know, I had three kids, and and. There was always challenges at various times, and there was things that I felt wasn't happening for me as a parent that I, I felt I could be doing better. Um, but, you know, the sort of parallel path is I'd always done a lot of community work in one way or another. One of my kids had challenges. I'd showed a lot of support groups, started helping in that environment. Um, I started a couple of businesses with my first husband, engineering construction, you know, various other things. Mm. Um, worked as a legal, like a paralegal for a long time um, while my kids were growing up. There was a lot of different experiences I'd had across a lot of different industries. Yeah. But I found myself uh, in my late 30s, uh, um, divorced, uh, single parent, and mm-hmm. um, needing to get out of the business I had with my first husband. Uh, and a friend introduced me to someone who was running a training college for psychotherapists and counsellors who needed someone to run the business. So, I was, and I'd been recommended to him 
I interviewed for the job, I got it. And my way of running a business is always to get in at the ground and understand the whole thing from ground up. So I thought, I don't even know what a psychotherapist is. I better no. find out. Sat in on a few classes, loved it. It felt like it was the career I'd always looked for. I don't think I know. What, what is, is a psychiatrist? Yeah. Compared to psychiatrist yeah. or psychologist? Yeah, so, so psychotherapist. Yeah, psychotherapist. So the psychology professions are quite um, differentiated. It's a bit like a physiotherapist and a chiropractor. They right. often work on the same things, but in a slightly different way. Yeah. So um, in Australia, psychologists are trained at university. It's a science-based degree. Um, psychiatrists are medical and then they go on and train in the sort of psychological professions as an add-on to that. Um, and psychotherapists offer operate in a kind of a mid-ground because you can be a psychologist and a psychotherapist, you can be a psychiatrist and a psychotherapist, or you can be a plain psychotherapist. Uh, and so psychotherapists can be either trained uh, at university or at a private college. But the one main differentiator is we have to have our, a lot of our own extensive therapy prior to working and alongside working with our patients. Uh, it's a, usually a long training uh, and it's largely focused on clinical, your own personal therapy and supervision. We tend to work long term and in depth and often around personality disorders and some of the bigger challenges rather than the short term um, sort right. of uh, quick fixes, if you like. So you started. As it sounded like the CEO or the general manager yeah, of the yeah, business. Yeah, of the business. But you ended up actually being a clinical Yes, I was doing both. So I started doing the training with, alongside. That's right. So I was a the business manager. I moved on to being CEO. I was also a faculty member. Once, once I trained and had practiced for a while, I became a faculty member there as well. So I was teaching psychotherapists and counsellors. Um, and um, then I had a um, major health condition in uh, 2006. Uh, needed to fall back from all of that uh, and spent uh, quite a long time consulting which was one way to manage my health um, and bring both my business background and my psychotherapy background together uh, and did a lot of consulting in the family business space, executive coaching, mm. um, strategy, consumer engagement type work. And is that how you ended up Starting kinship. Tell us how that. Yeah, how that, okay. that was that, tell us how you got from one to the okay. other. Yeah. So uh, I was also I'd always done a lot of community work and uh, was part of a Rotary Club. One of the speakers that came along was um, Andrew Whitehouse from Telethon Kids Institute, talking about the Autism Research Centre. Um, I was staggered to find out that the challenges that I'd experienced with my kids. Um, 25 years beforehand still existed yes. and I really thought that after 25 years those problems would have resolved there's a lot of technology there's Dr Google you know mm. I really thought those problems would have solved one of my colleagues at the Rotary Club um, came from a software background um, and we were sitting at a table talking to one another going this is ridiculous and she goes but technology is here could solve that um, and so we started talking and we we you know, got together because she had the tech background, which I didn't. I had the, both the lived experience as well as the clinical background. Mm. Um, so we got together and formed Kinship Systems and developed a solution for that challenge. And what was it like that first year? Like that first sort of founding, exciting? Was it was it crickets? What what was it like? It was exciting, actually. Right. Yeah, like you know, you, you made the comment before. This is a really big problem. It's yeah. a huge problem. The media, the problem, the harder it is, the more I get excited by it. Right. <laughs> um, it felt like an opportunity to bring together a lot of the skill sets and experience I'd had 
over the previous 50 years of my life right. and uh, and sort of bring that all together and um, make good use of it, really. So what, what year was this that you guys... 2014. 2014. Five years ago. Fantastic. Yeah, okay. And so has it been... What's it been like since then? Was it smooth sailing from day one? Oh, God. Did no. you get... Did, did everyone jump on and go, yep, this is this is great. We know we need this, which obviously it is, there is a huge need for it. So how did that trajectory look for you guys yeah look what I really didn't anticipate is having been in and run businesses for more than 20 years um, I didn't understand the fundraising side of things Mm -hmm. and how um, I want to say perverts how it perverts the course of a business Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so I've always been in a business where you 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 know want to create something you want to sell something you get out there you do it you make it happen you get the feedback straight on the full you know the yeah. startup thing like you get the feedback straight from the customer you iterate like that was all no-brainer to yeah. me great but you had revenue you know yes. um, or if you didn't you went without until you did you know but yes. that was the motivation to go forward in health when your user is not your customer when the burden of proof um, the, the thing that's different about the health industry is you have to build it before you can sell it, yeah. unfortunately, for the type of customers we have. Um, whereas most other aspects of the startup community, uh, the startup industry, you can sell it first and then build. Um, not in health, typically. There are areas of health we can do that, but you know, if you're dealing with government or some of the bigger... And, but not only do they need to see it and touch it and feel it, they want the research to back up that it works. Yes. So then you've got another two-year cycle in front of that. Now, all that requires big money. Yes. So they not only have to convince... Like, you've got the customer that's interested, but they won't put their name to anything or they won't sign anything to say that they yes. are interested. And you've got a user that's really keen, but they don't bring revenue. And then trying to sell all that to investors that don't understand the problem, have never been there... It's not the industry. They yeah. don't relate. Really hard. And particularly hard in WA? Worse than I mean, WA. Isn't no, it? No. Early stage awful. tech, it's tough, right? If you're not a mine or a commercial property it's or you're going to be on the ASX hard. tomorrow, they're not interested. <laughs> um, and health in Australia, there's maybe one or two VCs. And even then, you've got to have a yeah. million dollars recurring revenue before they'll look at you. So, yeah. you know. It's tough. It's tough. Is it? Going back to something you touched on earlier, you know, when you initially wanted to go to university, you were told that's not something that, that a woman should do. Have you found any of that translated into your startup journey? Is it is it difficult being a woman in tech? Have you seen any anything interesting or, or worth sharing in that space? Uh, thank you for asking that. Um, <laughs> one of the things I will say is prior to being in startup, uh, I never experienced any gender discrimination apart from that one thing. Yeah, that one time. That yeah. one time. Uh, and I made a point of positioning myself in places where it didn't matter or I'd basically do my own journey. And a lot of women I know, that's the path that they've chosen because it's like, I'm not letting this stop, stop me once, it's not going to yeah, stop me again. Yeah. Um, what I have found in fundraising is it's a very different kettle of fish. So in health, it's an advantage to be a woman, I believe. Yeah. But in fundraising, it's not. And there's a number of reasons why that happens. One, we're often pitching... Uh, problems that do not resonate with the bulk of investors. So to who give you an ex- men. who are typically men. So to give yeah. you an example, I pitched to Melbourne Angels Group. There was something like forty people in the room. Thirty-six were men, mm-hmm. and out of the four women, 
One was coming from a sponsor organisation, so it wasn't an investor. One was a caterer, um, and I think, and one was the <laughs> woman who was championing me. Um, and there was only one other potential investor, and that woman came to me in the break and said, "Oh my God, you have just described my life. I cannot believe you are solving this problem. It's huge." And she just went on for about fifteen minutes without a word in. It's like, "Awesome! Did you say that in the room?" Oh no, I couldn't have said that. What? <laughs> oh no! But the men didn't get it. The, the men didn't get men? it. No, like they just didn't. Like it's just not a problem Gosh. that resonates to them because even those that have kids with challenges, um, often it's their partner, their wife. The, you know that it's taking yes. care of a lot of the nitty gritty stuff which we help to solve. And that sounds in itself a bias, but that's what I've come to understand. Yes. Um, so some of it's a problem about relating, and then there's been this amazing TED Talk, which I wish I could reference, mm-hmm. um, but I'm really bad at names and stuff, um, The uh, that talks about some research that was undertaken about the type of questions that women founders get asked mm. In a fundraising pitch, and also but how they answer the, the men don't get asked. Well, it's the and framing, is it? It's the framing. Yeah, men uh, are asked, uh, "What's your future?" And women are asked questions about uh, what problems. Defending them. Yeah, defending. Yeah, I've, I've watched that exactly. Yeah. I wish I knew the exactly. name of the lady. We'll find it. We'll put a we'll link. We'll Please put a link. It's mm-hmm. very insightful. Yeah, great, and I've great seen that advice happen. as well mm. that she gave was to try and frame it. In, yeah, in terms of frame every answer in terms of progress and success, but it doesn't change the fact that that's the problem you're up against. So it's really interesting to hear that because it is, mm. I, I imagine, it's something that a lot of women... I, I've seen your pitch and you're very, very good. It's very compelling. It just comes through. And it, as it's coming through now, and I hope that people listening to this can feel the passion and the excitement and the, and the energy, um, and you smash it in your pitch. You have raised money. You have managed yes. to do it. Yeah. No matter how hard it is in health, how hard it is with your business model, and how hard it is in WA. So congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you to our investors who believe in us. There are them, there are some there. Sometimes you have to go to a tremendous amount of meetings to get anything. Mm-hmm. And presumably they're the right type of investors. They're passive, they're patient, they believe in you and your goal and they're going to yes. sit back and let you get the runway that you need, I hope. Yeah, I, I have to say our investors have been incredibly supportive and um, and have been there, you know, when mm. things haven't gone so well, they've been incredibly supportive as well. They haven't sort of run away or given us a hard time or, you know, yes. um, they've, they've been incredibly supportive. So I genuinely do want to thank them for that. So the future for Kinship Systems, what are you, what are you building? What are you looking to do? What's the next exciting stage? Um, what are you working towards? Well, we had some uh, great recognition in the US just recently. We uh, were finalists in an impact pediatric health pitch where uh, we pitched to eight of the US's leading pediatric hospitals and investors uh, in Austin, Texas at South by Southwest. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we discovered there was we were actually early to the market. I thought we might be a bit late coming from WA. We're actually early to the market. So there's a number of key strategic decisions that I need to sit down with our investors currently to do and look at. Okay, given that we're early, given that there's some interest, um, Australian traction is not recognised as being of any value at all when you (laughs) tackle the US market. So better to be too early than too late, though. Oh, absolutely. But there's a timing issue, so you've still got to have the runway to survive that. Yeah. So, um, so there's a, you know, lots of conversations around that to be had, but there's certainly a, not just a big opportunity, but a bigger opportunity than we anticipate. Are there competitors on the landscape? Other people doing? They're similar? starting to come through. Um, we've got adjacent competitors. We're now starting to get direct competitors. Um, what what I found really interesting was that they were saying the same thing. This is a 
um, new market, new business models, everything's new. There's not an existing pathway. So a lot of the questions we were getting asked initially in our pitches, give us an example of other companies that are, you know, and it's like, this is, these are new business models. This is, you know, yeah. yes, the problems always existed, but the opportunity to do it in a different way is new. And that's the conversation that everybody is saying at the moment. So I feel like we, we've been saying the right things, we've been doing the right things, and everybody is trying to, like yeah. find the right pathway in this um, so that's exciting I, I find that really so what's the what's the best piece of advice you've gotten in this journey so far first of all when you do listen to advice be careful about where it's coming from and what country or what state it relates to and what industry right. so what what works in Silicon Valley does not work in Australia and sure as hell doesn't work in WA. So a good example of that is you should be 100% in your startup. If you're not 100% in your startup, then you're not proving your commitment, you're not proving your passion, and you're never going to make it. It's absolute BS depending on mm. the type of business you're building. Now, if you're in a sort of a quick win industry where you can actually bootstrap it and maybe get revenue, yeah, I kind of agree. But if you're in a business that's going to take four to ten years to work yeah. which better, health typically which does typically right? yeah. like, yes. if you don't have financial means uh, personally to get you through that I mean you're, you're dead in the water so a side gig or whatever a side yeah. gig or mm. consulting work within yeah. the business or like whatever you do to have to like you have to and think I was going to ask so that's what you've done yeah. You've done some consulting side gig to keep absolutely. the whole thing moving forward. Yes, right? absolutely. And so give it a chance. Yeah, to give it a chance. So we've been yep. able to, so I've had five years of no income from this business. Right. Trust right. me, relationships are not going to survive, let alone me <laughs> financially, if that's the case. I'm all in. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm all in. So I am all in and I've yeah. chosen consulting work that pays me very handsomely for a small amount of hours and is incredibly flexible. And my client actually supports the business. I call them my silent investor right. um, <laughs> because they fly me to the US regularly on their coin. Uh, and that kind of thing. So, you know, I've chosen my consulting well. And some of the other successful founders that I've seen, they've generated consulting income within the company to help fund the company while they build their product. Yes. So there are other ways to do it. What works in Silicon Valley does not work no. here. We're going to create a new type of our own tech center, right, here in WA. Yeah. yeah. So you just need to be mindful of what's right for your company, for you personally, and for where you're situated. Well, that's really good feedback. Um, what, what has been some of your observations then as a startup founder over five years of the scene here, of the sector, of the startup early stage sector in WA? Oh, look, it's massively grown in that state, in, in that period of time. And what I really like is there's some quality mentors coming out. Mm. Um, you know, the other thing to be mindful of as a startup founder is the motivation behind the mentor. There's a lot of, um, and I'm a consultant as well, um, there's a lot of consultants out there that are basically fishing for business and they've probably not ever built a startup in their life and, you know, yeah. it's, be careful, you know, yes. just be really careful. And there's a lot of genuine people who I genuinely want to give back and mentor. Um, a lot of now founders with a lot of hard lessons learned that are willing to share and I gen I really believe you should reach out to other founders and, and yes. hear about their experiences. So which people do you admire in Perth then? Are there any people you want to call out that you see doing really amazing or companies stuff? Or companies, yeah. Yeah, look, I'm, I mean, seriously, you know, bootstrapped, serious, clear, and like just... Amazing. Appbot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Claire and Stuart. Yeah, yeah absolutely. wonderful. Great. Just, I think they're fantastic. Episode two, if you want to go yeah, back. Yeah, exactly. That's right. First, Definitely all respect. And, you know, I don't know either of them really right. apart from the startup scene. So, 
but I just think what they've done is amazing, uh, you know, from this space. Yes. I think there's a bunch of companies actually, and and especially everyone in health, which obviously I, I see a lot more of. I see them really struggling and really working hard and very passionate and wanting to solve problems. So anyone that even gives health a go, I just call so out. So you admire of Health Engine, what Marcus Tan has done. Yeah, yeah, job. yeah, incredible job. And there's a lot of new players coming through as well that are really trying to solve big problems. Um, and the thing I love about Marcus is he's always been prepared to give back. Hasn't he? He's yeah. just absolutely made time for a lot of people and all credit to... Also him. on Startup West, exactly. go back and listen to Marcus. <laughs> I want to say seven, episode seven. Uh, something like right that. Yeah. He was early, he was um, early. Uh, any, any others that we wouldn't have heard of out there that, um, that you'd like to give a shout out to? Maybe in health or? Uh, yes, um, I do. I know you've already interviewed them as well, but yeah, you know, Sharon and Grant um, Grosser from oh, Sector. Sure. Yeah, yeah, again, education great focus. people. Um, I actually really like what um, Kylie and, and Sven are doing with oh, um, Impact, Impact Seed, Seed. Um, really trying to champion the ecosystem there. So, big shout out to them. They've been fantastic yeah, support to guys. us, by the way. Um, uh, you know, Mike and the Boundless team, um, mm. and uh, uh, I'm just trying to. There's, there's a couple. I'm trying to think of the name of it. That's right. I, I've met a few recently that are doing amazing work in uh, in health. Okay. Well, we're going to finish on a rapid, quick fire round. So, what comes into your head? Just blurt it out. Okay. The single most important factor that makes a successful startup. There is no single most important factor. There's too many. There's, well, it's different for every group, um, yeah. and to try and nail it down to one is, you know, not the, yeah. the thing that I think is most important to our success so far has been relationships. Because whether or not the startup survives, um, the relationships are there long term. Yes. Absolutely. So, Do you believe in insourcing or outsourcing? Both, depending. So, if you've got a complex um, platform uh, or product. And there's uh, IP that you need to manage and maintain. If you've got people coming in and out, and, like it's just, it's not workable. Um, however, if you want to scale up rapidly, um, you know, outsourcing is incredibly valuable and we've benefited from both. So keeping our core IP in-house and having somebody that has that longevity of um, understanding and knowledge for yes. the platform and the, why you've made decisions along the way is incredibly valuable. That's really good advice. Mm. Um, should a startup self-fund or raise money? It depends. So um, if you can self-fund, self-fund. Like yeah. seriously, um, you can focus on the product and the customer uh, and the revenue and all those things that are really important and, and not be sidetracked by having to go out and fundraise, which, you know, it's just a tough gig. You've had to raise money, as you say. You had to build it yes. for them to come. You had to raise money to build it. The way we positioned ourselves in the beginning, if I was to start over again, I would be seriously looking at what revenue models can we be looking at from day one and how else could we build that right. uh, and how else can we resource that without having to go to investors. Uh, PC or Mac? Oh, Mac. Yes. <laughs> Red or white? Oh, that depends. <laughs> <laughs> Both. Uh, well, it depends. So, like, I like white space, um, you know, in terms of design. Right, okay. Uh, but, you know, Red is really passionate, and as you may have uh, There you go. I love it. And what podcast do you listen to? 
know this is really bad. I tend not to listen to podcasts. I read and I listen to music at the same time. Oh, so nice. that tends to be how I retain a lot of information. Beautiful. Well, look, thank you so much, Kath, for your time and for your insight. You've given us some really valuable mm. gems that I think Fantastic. a lot of startups, particularly in the health space, will find so, so valuable. So we wish you all the best uh, with Kinship Systems into the future. Uh, and always... Thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, it's really great to have you here. Don't forget to give Startup West a really lovely review because that helps people to find us. And do subscribe because so that you can get our next podcast up in your feed. We're on Spotify as well as all the usual podcast platforms. Yes, and thanks to our sponsors too. Startup West uh, is brought to you by Startup News and the fine people at Rays, Space Cubed, Curtin University and BDO. This podcast is recorded at the brand new podcasting studios at Riff in downtown Perth, West Australia. See you all next time. Thanks, Kat. Cheers. Thank you.